Welcome to the Good Growing Podcast. I am Chris Enroth, horticulture educator with University of Illinois Extension, coming at you from Macomb, Illinois, and we have got a great show for you today. We've been getting all kinds of questions this time of year about soil tests and how to do it, how to interpret them. So we're going to discuss soil testing today. Uh, we could probably dive deeper into this, and we have a couple other podcasts uh, from, from years prior. We can put links of those in there. We'll actually talk with uh, Dwayne Friend, uh, a, a very common guest here on the show, about soil testing and soil test interpretation. But you know I'm not going to do this by myself. I am joined, as always, every week by horticulture educator Ken Johnson in Jacksonville. Hey, Ken. Hello, Chris. How are you doing? I am doing great. How are things going in Jacksonville? Very good. It's getting warm and gross, but other than that, finally got the ceilings outside to start hardening them off now that it's stopped having 50 mile an hour winds every day and, and stuff. So, yeah. Well, oh, yeah. Macomb, we had a 60 some mile per hour wind that came through this weekend. And so there's a lot of, lot of cleanup happening right now. And all my potted plants uh, wound up on the opposite side of the yard. So, but they're all a-okay. They, they're getting nursed back to health. But yeah, we had a, quite a wind uh, this last weekend. So and, uh, lots of rain. Yeah. So I've been, been busy cleaning up and getting things put back in shape. Yep. We, got, we didn't have too much damage, um, really any in our yard. I think we were, we were out of town this weekend looking at the radar. It seemed like everything started developing couple miles east of Jacksonville. I think Springfield got hit pretty hard, but mm -hmm. Jacksonville, we didn't get anything until early in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. We were, we weren't quite sure what was happening. We kept getting these warnings on our phone and everything, and then everything cleared off. We saw blue sky. We ate dinner, um, you know, getting ready for bed. And then all of a sudden tornado sirens go off and we're like, we thought it was over. And that that's when the the big winds hit. So um, it was, uh, we, we weren't expecting it, but I, I know people had, had forecasted it. So, yeah. And so I, today I, I am actually covered in soil and this seems appropriate that we're talking soil testing. I've been pulling T posts out of the ground. Um, cause that's, this is a great time to do it right after a big, heavy rain. You just wiggle them out of the ground and they come on up, um, here in the McDonough County extension office, we have a like a, a debris or a refuse pile. Our master gardeners, they throw stuff from the garden in there and we need to do something with it and get it out of here. And so we had to pull up the stakes that held the, the walls of it up. So that, that, that was my morning today. And I that I just wish I had some type of wood chipper to help me uh, take care of all this debris. So in, in light of that, Ken, I think it's the time of the year where we check in. How How is Ken's wood chipper doing this year? I used it a couple of weeks ago to get some leaves shredded uh, that we left outside in bags over the winter. So, you know, the top three quarters of it was nice and dry and the bottom was nice and swampy and gross, but mm -hmm. I don't think I killed it. <laughs> Dumped in the bags <laughs> of water and stuff. <laughs> so last I checked, it's still working. Well, well, good. Well, we are, we're hoping Ken's wood chipper will make it through another season. Um, and Chris's wood chipper still is yet to show up at his doorstep, but uh, he's shopping. So yeah. I'm tired of all these sticks just building up and I'd, I'd love to do something with them. So I look forward to that. Build a fire. Yeah. Well, I have a lot. We do lots of fires and it doesn't make much of a dent. <laughs> There's a lot of wood out there. 
Oh my goodness. And now that we've been uh, cutting honeysuckle out of the woods in the back area, honeysuckle is not too bad of a firewood. I'll say that much, but um, it does take a while for it to dry down in order for it to burn because it's, it's pretty green. Well, Ken, today we're talking about soil testing, soil test interpretation, and, and we're really just sharing some of these really common questions that have been coming in. Some of these questions are specifically from homeowners that have reached out to us about soil testing and, and kind of figuring out the results of these tests. So, um, Ken, if you wouldn't mind kicking us off this week with our first question, please. The first one is, I want to get my soil tested. Where do I send it or take it? This is probably the most common question it, we get. It is. And it's interesting that it's commonly asked to people at the extension because U of I extension used to accept soil uh, tests or we would send them off to campus for testing. Uh, but we don't do that anymore. Uh, many reasons why, mostly because it doesn't cost that much to do a soil test. And the price does not really equate to having a full-time person on staff to, to, to handle that. Um, and so it was kind of a, you know, wasn't a service being utilized that much. Um, plus, uh, you know, a lot of people saw Extension as being competitive with the commercial labs out there. And so we decided to not do soil tests anymore, but we are happy to advise people on where to send them and, and then interpretation after the fact. So uh, we will uh, throw in a link in the chat box. And maybe if you're watching us on YouTube up on the screen here of uh, our, our <laughs> there it is, this magic, we're going to, to make this appear right here with, with uh, magic and editing. Um, it is actually going to be at extension.illinois.edu slash soil. So extension.illinois.edu slash soil. That is going to take you to our website that we have uh, most more recently put up that is your one-stop shop for soils, um, including not, not only soil testing, but soil management, conservation, uh, so on and so forth. So there's a lot of information on soils there, uh, but you will see that there will be uh, links that you can click on about soil testing. This is going to take you to a web page that lists, that will take you to a, another web page that lists commercial soil labs. Now, commercial soil labs, they go through a whole certification process uh, that is managed uh, by, uh, let's see, it's the American, um, oh, I'd have to look it up, the American, it's Alta. American Laboratory Testing Association. I can see their logo, but I can't. Yep, yep. <laughs> so it will take you to the Alta website, of which these are commercial labs in Illinois or in surrounding states that you will you will send your sample off to. Um, you'll just you'll pay a lab fee and then shipping fees. Um, and the other thing that's also on the extension site is so if you go back and you go back to the extension site, is there a listing of, of land grant universities that still do accept soil testing? Um, and these are specifically ones in the Midwest. Uh, it's really ideal when you're testing or submitting a sample for a soil test to um, submit it in a region that has similar soil to yours. You don't necessarily want to send it down to Florida because they grow in sand down there. Um, so, so you really, because they're going to use soil testing techniques more applicable to the soils in your region. So Midwest, that's really what we try to target here in Illinois. Yeah, because there are several different tests that can be done on soils, and those interpretations will vary depending on the test, whether you're doing Bray or Malik or 
any of those others that are out there. I think Ken just spoke Latin. I don't know what he just said. <laughs> but yes, yeah, those are the tests. Named so after the scientists. In, so yeah. testing class in grad school. <laughs> that, that was a deep pull right there, Ken. Yeah. Yeah, those those are the soil tests named after the scientists that developed them, uh, more than likely. So, um, but but yeah, we had to try to stick to your region. Um, I always say call them ahead to get uh, any information about um, how do they want the soil tests collected, um, and that's that, that would be a great idea. We also do have a video um, done by Dwayne and edited here by Ken, which I, I found out the other day, um, about how to collect a soil sample. So we'll throw that link also in the chat description. We've got a lot of links today. There's a lot of information about soils. It's very important. So Ken, you mentioned all these different types of tests, but um, the other decisions that we have to make when submitting a soil test is like what type of test like there's add-ons you know there's there's add-ons and like when you're buying a plane ticket or something you can add on to things and stuff so when it comes to soil testing you know what type of test uh should you get in terms of all the other add-ons to that and so i think for most homeowners most people doing a garden your basic test is probably going to be um good enough and that's going to get your your major stuff that you're going to need there's also you can do micronutrients so get some of those um be you know manganese iron calcium even though it's not really micro um but some of those those nutrients we don't need as much of that typically aren't going to be an issue um but you could do that uh, if you suspect maybe you've got a deficiency in one of those uh heavy metals you can't send samples off to test for heavy metals lead things like that so you know if, if you're living lead's usually in more of a concern in more urban areas because uh, of leaded gasoline and that those deposits um with more people more cars you have more of that lead in the atmosphere or in those areas uh probably around if you have an older house it was a pre-1970s there's lead and paint um so if you're going to be if you're living in an older house and you're planting a vegetable particularly a vegetable garden probably close to a home, that may be a good idea to see if there's um, <clears throat> a lot of lead in the soil and if you would need to take any um, necessary actions because you have elevated lead levels. Uh, but those are kind of be the kind of the two um, biggies kind of add-ons would be the micronutrients or heavy metals. But for, for most people, just your basic uh, test should be enough. Yeah, yeah. And I'll I'll add another. Now most people are might be dealing with the urban situation or an older home situation. Very rarely, but it has happened to me. Somebody built a home in an old orchard, and the chemicals that they used to spray in orchards long time. I mean, talking long time ago, are gnarly lead, mm -hmm. arsenic, all kinds of uh, wonderful things that just persist in the soil. And and so when they were talking about that, they were showing me, look at these beautiful apple trees. And there was just rows and rows and rows of these old, you know, probably hundred year old apples. And I'm like, ooh, probably want to get your soil tested before you begin building that garden right there. Because um, because really the, the main risk is with some of the soil contaminants, not, not that the plant's going to necessarily absorb those heavy metals and you eat the fruit. 
it's more of you getting it on your skin or you inhaling the dust from working in that it's that that's that's the main concern when it comes to those heavy metals and so um it i, I mean we probably don't know enough to know how much of that stuff plants take up. That would probably require millions of dollars of research to investigate every single plant because every plant is different. Um, but for the most part, we don't see that stuff moving into the fruit of a, of a plant. Yeah. And what I think should have mentioned is you know, when you're, you're doing a test, make sure you're specifying that it is for a lawn or garden. Yeah. So you're not finding out how to grow however many bushel corn and beans because for most soil testing places in the Midwest, they're going to be focuses are going to be on agronomic crops. They'll, they'll do, I think on that, that website, they indicate whether or not they take home samples, but you need to indicate that you have a home sample. Otherwise, yeah. the recommendations you're getting were not necessarily going to match up with what you're trying to grow. Mm -hmm. Yes. An annual crop like corn industrial, we'll say corn and soybeans is way different than growing even an annual crop like a tomato in the vegetable garden. So two different types of crops, two very different systems. So, uh, oh, Ken, I forgot too about um, uh, when it comes to where can you send it or take it. It, it. This really does depend on your locality, but sometimes your local FS, your local farm bureau, your local soil and water, um, sometimes you can take soil samples to them and they will send it off basically they're just acting as as a, a middleman there and they're going to take your sample and just send it off to one of those commercial labs that are listed on alta um and so you can just call ahead and see if they do that um i guess it saves you a trip to the post office um but also means you have to use whatever service they choose and so you don't you kind of lose some choice there so um so yeah, but again, we'll leave a link below to that soil testing uh, lab listing page for extension so you can review and, and kind of make those best choices in terms of labs. And then also a lot of those, those add-ons um, that, that are included. All right, so we mentioned basic soil test, but I didn't say what was in there. <laughs> so what does that basic soil test include? Well, and it, it's a lot of information. Uh, you know that, and I think that's why a lot of times extension folks will say, "Do a soil test." I mean, we say that a lot when we're giving classes, like, "Ah, do a soil test." And there's sometimes um, that message might get carried away a little bit. You know, someone's talking about something that might be totally unrelated to soils, like, "Ah, I got a wasp nest in my tree. Do a soil test." I'm like, whoa, hang on, we'll walk that back a little bit. But we do say it a lot. Um, but the, it contains so much information. I think it's vital. For a lot of gardeners, because most of the time we're guessing when it comes to soils. If you if you don't have a test or results in your hand, uh, you're looking at this. What's the neighbor doing? Mm, they're putting this on. I'm going to do this. Uh, a, a lot of times where we're at in Illinois is what's the farmers doing? I see a lot of that where like, well, the farmers are doing this now. They're putting lime on their field or they're putting fertilizer on there. And then like, well, I'm going to do that. Like, but do you need to? That's the big question. Is like cost and saving money. So the I'd say uh, a key thing, the first thing on a soil test is it's going to tell you your soil's organic matter content. Now, this is going to be represented as a percentage. Um, where we're at in Illinois, central Illinois, I'll say, we have uh, soils high in organic matter. And a lot of times people be like, oh, what, like 50%? Like, well, not that high. That's like compost practically. But um, a high soil organic matter is something anywhere from like six to eight percent 
um, said that when the so the prairies were turned over, a lot of that was close to eight to ten percent soil organic matter. On an average across the state of Illinois, we, we you can lose soil organic matter. We we've gone down to about four to six percent on average across the whole state. Four to six percent soil organic matter, which is still great compared to a lot of other states and a lot of other countries across the planet. So, um, that. It will tell you your soil organic matter, which can also tell you about your tilth, um, and it can also tell you about some of that nutrient load uh, that, that that organic matter can can hold on to, which um, which we'll probably talk more about that nutrient load here in a little bit. But next, Ken, um, what else does our basic soil test tell us? You know, if if people aren't sure what organic matter is, that's like your former living stuff, your plant material, and a lot of that's going to be stable break down slowly and release nutrients over time so it's it's a good thing that it's like a you know, like a fertilizer almost gives you nutrients oh and i misspoke average soil uh, organic matter across the state is two to four percent sorry i i glanced at my notes and so right now average soil organic matter two to four percent uh throughout the state it, it will vary depending on your location all right. What's next, Ken, on our, <laughs> our basic soil test list here? Uh, so uh, pH will be another thing on there. So basically how acidic or alkaline uh, your your soil is. So pH scales from 0 to 14, 7 being neutral. So anything above 7 is going to be alkaline or basic. Anything below is going to be acidic. Most of the plants we're growing in our gardens are going to like it slightly acidic, 6, 6.3 to 7. Um, thing if you're growing things like blueberries, that's going to be even lower into the fives. So, you know, for let's say for most of our crops and our soils, no only pH is going to be fine. If we're going to grow blueberries, you're going to have to adjust the pH more than likely. For generally speaking, for Illinois, there may be spots where um, you wouldn't have to. Uh, if if your pH is, does need to be adjusted, uh, typically. Are probably going to be a little higher than, than low. So we'd be adding, um, if you need to lower it, you're going to be adding sulfur a lot of times. If you need to raise your pH, you're going to be doing a lime uh, product more than likely. And if you're if you're getting an interpretation with the results, it should say add this much sulfur or lime to your to your soils to get down to the, the appropriate levels. And that 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 pH. We, we try to adjust it, but but nature usually like, if you do adjust it downward, just nature oftentimes over time will flip it back to where it was before. So it's usually a continual fight. Yeah, and that and that pH level is, will it, the, the pH is going to, nutrient availability will depend on pH. So mm -hmm. as, as the soil pH changes, certain elements, certain nutrients are going to become more or less available. So there's charts online that you can find. Um, usually bands, um, they'll get narrower or wider depending on what the pH is. So you know, that's why we want that 6.3 to 7 because most uh, nutrients in the soil, elements in the soil, that's going to be where they're most available. You start getting higher, you start losing some, you start getting lower, they become less available. And then um, that's where that's because that's when plants start struggling is because they can't get some of those essential nutrients because they're not as available uh, because of the pH. The telltale example of that is pin oak in Illinois. Um, what often happens is you see the, the tissue begins to yellow 
and the veins stay green. That's called intervenal chlorosis or iron chlorosis. Now, a lot of folks initially say, well, that means I don't have enough iron in my soil. But no, it's actually a pH problem where your pH is, is in an area where your, your pin oak cannot take up that iron. So you might have all the iron in the world in your soil, but if the pH is wrong, that plant cannot take up that nutrient. And, um, and what you think is an iron problem is usually a pH problem. What's something else that that uh, that we'll get in? It probably affects nutrient levels there. Uh, Ken, I was hoping you weren't going to ask because I don't really understand it. But uh, <laughs> cation exchange capacity is also known as CEC. Um, I just remember in soils class, this is the time where I'm like, whoa, we're getting so deep right here in, in into the weeds. But but essentially, what cation exchange capacity is is it is a measurement of how well soil particles hold onto nutrients. Um, so there's soil particles like clay, sand, silt, and then of course we have our organic matter. So the sand, silt, and clay, th those are mineral particles. They don't go away. Organic matter, as we already stated, that can go away over time. Um, but the sand, silt, and clay, they're also, they're categorized based on their size and shape, really. Sand is the biggest one. Um, you know, you've seen sand, you can look at a, you can hold sand in your hand and actually see the particles in your hand. Silt, it's kind of in between. It's that, that really kind of filmy, fine textured material. Um, uh, and then we have our clay, which is even more just like silky smooth. And that is the smallest particle size. So like in a tablespoon, you can hold, you know, so many grains of sand, but that same tablespoon will hold uh, an exponentially greater amount of clay because clay is so much smaller. Clay also is flat like plates and people watching that can see me putting my hands on top of each other. If you're listening, just imagine that. So clay particles are actually flat like plates and they're teeny tiny and they're negatively charged. All of that combines to the fact that clay holds the most nutrients. Um, another great thing about our soils, you know, you say like, ah, clay soils are bad, but actually the right ratio, you know, clay, organic matter, sand and silt, actually clay is good because it can hold nutrients that your plants can then access to the root systems. So CEC is going to be a measurement of those nutrients being held by that soil. Um, and so when we look at the ideal CEC, um, soils that have one CEC with a 15 to 20 uh, measurement, that's pretty good for soil nutrition. Now, um, anything with six or lower, you're going to probably need to be looking at some type of a nutrient management or amendment um, to, to go in that soil. Uh, a lot of times we see deficiencies like potassium in low CEC soils. So we're talking sandy soils or soils low in organic matter um, that we, we typically have these low CEC rates. So that's that just kind of a, a situation where we might need to be adding some fertilizers, organic matter, mulch, things like that. So that sounded like a big muddy mess that came out of my mouth, but um, CEC is a measurement of the nutrients your soil can hold. And uh, 15 to 20, that's the, the window that we like to hit. Ken, are there any other things that our basic soil tests can tell us? So really kind of one other thing is going to be your, your macronutrients. So typically they're not going to test for nitrogen because that's going to fluctuate in the soil depending on the time of year and amount of moisture and all this, that, and the other, because it's a lot of time that's coming from the organic matter. And there's really no good way to it's just basically a little snapshot of that time. So typically your soil test is going to recommend 
you know, we put down this much nitrogen depending on the crops you're growing um, because it's just going to vary from time to time. Um, so this is, so when you, when you get your soil test, you'll have, you know, a number on there and it'll, usually it'll say, you know, is it very low, low, high, proper, whatever it is. You know, we want to pay attention to that if you've got high levels, of, you probably don't want to be putting any extra phosphorus on there. So you get too much phosphorus on there that can you know, potentially inhibit uptake of other uh, nutrients. You get too much on there, it can wash off, you get into bodies of water, then you get algal blooms. It's one of the reasons why we've got issues in the Gulf is because of excess fertilizers and stuff going down. Uh, phosphorus being one of those that can cause those algal blooms. Uh, other thing that's, that's going to be on there for sure is going to be potassium or K. And that's that third number uh, in that, on that fertilizer bag. And again, you know, it's going to tell you, it, you know, are your, do you have adequate? Is it low? Is it high? And then we'll give you recommendations based on that. This is how many pounds of, of phosphorus or potassium you should be applying to get adequate uh, nutrients in your soil for plant growth. And that's why they put out the Illinois phosphorus law, um, which is states across the United States have sort of across the board, not really banned phosphorus, but they are restricting the use of phosphorus for things like lawn applications. And so when those, the three numbers that you see on those fertilizer bags, the NPK, uh, you can go into a, a garden center now and the, the, the middle number, the, the phosphorus is zero sometimes. That's for those situations where, um, you know, you really just are focusing on that nitrogen application uh, and maybe a little bit of potassium in there. That zero for that phosphorus is because, uh, as Ken mentioned, it, it can run off, it can, it can contaminate uh, waterways, it, it binds to soil. And when we have erosion or when we have those gully washers, it goes with that soil into our waterways. Um, but the other thing, that reason that it binds to soil, phosphorus doesn't leave, it doesn't leach out. So we see these excessive amounts of phosphorus begin to build in Illinois soils. And so typically when someone says they got a deficiency in phosphorus or potassium, I think, what kind of raised bed are they growing in? Because it doesn't sound like they're growing in Illinois soils. So um, it's usually a, a, a kind of a, a artificial or some type of soil mixture that they've created for their garden. And I'd say, you know, for that phosphorus stuff, a lot of times as farmers, they get vilified because uh, they're, you know, they're, they're to blame for all this phosphorus, but a good chunk of that's coming from residential areas mm -hmm. uh, to lawn applications that get into storm sewers and then flowing into rivers and stuff too. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's not just the farmers uh, doing it. Yep. You know, a lot of the, the farmers, they, they take classes and things, you know, leave a buffer from waterways. And um, many of them are very conscious of the fact that we have to protect our water Homeowners don't have to do that. They can go to the store. They can buy a bag of fertilizer, spread it right right around the the pond if their house is next to a pond, if they want to, or a creek or a stream, and they don't have to take a class that instructs them proper methods. And so, all we can extension say is uh, read that label, <laughs> apply according to that label, leave a buffer around uh, waterways too, if you can. Well, not if you can. You, I don't use the word should very often, but you really should. Well, one of the few times. No, it's one of the few times I'll whip that out. All right. So now that we've, you know, we've, we know what we're getting on our soil test. I've, so soil test shows I'm low in nitrogen and potassium. Mm -hmm. What fertilizers could we use that's going to contain potassium? 
Well, Ken, as you mentioned, um, it soil. Be careful of soil tests that are like you're low on nitrogen because, as Ken had said, that's not an accurate measurement of nitrogen at a time. It is just a snapshot in that year. Nitrogen gets released all of the time, and then especially in the summer, a lot of soil testing companies just assume there's going to be a nitrogen defici deficiency because everything is growing, everything is alive, and everything is using nitrogen. Plants, micronutrients, microorganisms, I'm sorry, um, fungi, bacteria, they're all in the soil using nitrogen. So they kind of assume there's going to be a deficiency in your soils. That's why we always just sort of see that knee-jerk nitrogen recommendation for a lot of our soil tests. So, so that's kind of that, if you have a soil test saying you have a nitrogen deficiency, that's usually why. If they're trying to give you an actual measurement, just take that with a grain of salt. It, 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 again, it's a snapshot in time. Nitrogen levels change in the soil all the time. So potassium. You have a deficiency in potassium. And then I would ask, are you growing in a raised bed or, or where are you? Maybe you're in Mason County, Illinois, which is mostly sand. And that that I think was the case here. They had a high sandy soil. I don't think they're in Mason County, but they had a high sand content soil. And they're trying to figure out how to add potassium back in, into there. That can be a little difficult uh, to find like a singular thing that only contains potassium. I'd say if you want to go kind of with the shotgun approach, uh, compost or a compost of manures, they give you a lot of those macro and micronutrients. Um, so that would be maybe the first approach to take. After that, there are a few things you could look for bags in, in the store labeled potash, which is just kind of another name for potassium. Um, the other thing is one that I see used quite a bit is a product called green sand. Um, I know that adds potassium. I don't know. I've never used it myself, uh, but I've seen that inputted in a lot of different like homemade potting mixtures, potting soil mixtures is green sand. Um, but for the most part, yeah, I, I would look at kind of those more organic based fertilizers, compost and manures or yard waste compost to add some of those macro and micronutrients to your yard or look for bags labeled uh, with potash or green sand. All right, Ken, so our last question for today is uh, this person had soil testing on their garden and it said that they need to add magnesium. Do you have any suggestions on the on uh, what to add or the best way to go about adding magnesium to the soil? Uh, so there's two kind of common ways we're gonna do that. Uh, one is gonna be dolomitic limestone. Uh, I guess kind of the drawback of that is that it's got um, it'll alter the pH, raise the pH of the soil. So that may be something you need to be careful about. If if your pH is already running a little bit high, that may not be the best option because you don't want to get that pH too high. But if it's you know within the acceptable range, that may be something you could apply. Uh, another one that commonly be used and easily found uh, is going to be magnesium sulfate better known as Epsom salts. Mm -hmm. uh, so that that would be a source of magnesium. Um, Ken can't believe the words coming out of his mouth right now. <laughs> it's recommending Epsom salts. <laughs> magnesium, hey, get some sulfur in there. there um, and and despite all the internet miracle cures, that's probably one of the few things that's good for in the garden anyway. You know, soak your feet in it when you're done. But yeah, um, yeah that, that could be a source of magnesium as well. So the, those would be two, probably the two primary ways you're going to get those. Well, that was a lot of great information about soil testing, uh, how to do it, where to send it, and a little bit about 
some of those interpretation of the results. The Good Grand Podcast is a production of the University of Illinois Extension, edited, 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 edited. I'll edit that out maybe, uh, this week by me, Chris Enroth. Uh, special thank you to Ken for hanging at me. Hang, oh, Ken, I can't do this anymore. I, I think it's time to, to go outside. It's a beautiful day out, but thank you for hanging out with me and chatting about soil testing and answering these questions today. Thank you for hanging out too, and may have to go get me a soil test here and figure out what's going on in the garden. It's just Ken's garden is is everything good. I I think I've I've seen it once or twice, and it's a paradise. So whatever he's doing that soil, it's working. This <laughs> is not a paradise right now. <laughs> Lots of work. Oh today. boy, yeah. And uh, let's do this again next week. Oh, we shall do this again next week. We are going to have a guest, Ryan Pankow, on. Uh, he's a horticulture educator over in Champaign. And we are going to be unveiling a brand new website that we've been working on for, in how many years? Long time. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> it's been a while. Um, but we finally have this website done, and we're excited to showcase this off uh, to uh, folks of Illinois, U.S., Midwest, the world. Uh, whoever so uh, hint hit it's about bugs hint hit ken's favorite topic here so um we are going to be uh kicking that website off on the good growing podcast next week with ryan pankow so we look forward to having you back here then so listeners thank you for doing what you do best and that is listening or if you're watching this on youtube watching and as always keep on growing